Welcome, friends, to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. Inner inspiration and what drives you with Jennifer Marshall. Hi friends, it's Diane here and I have a really cool person that we're going to talk about some really amazing things. So Jennifer Marshall is here with me and Jennifer has an amazing life. (laughs) She's been in the Navy and she is an actress, of course. You probably already recognize her. I do. And she also does a lot of community service. But the thing that really inspires me about Jennifer and why she's on the show with us here at Someone Gets Me is that inner inspiration, that part of her that keeps expanding and growing and transforming, even with all these different very things happening in her life. So we're going to learn about Jennifer and what inspires her from those deep, motivated spots. So get your tea, sit back, and enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me, Diane. I appreciate you accommodating my schedule. You've been amazing. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure completely. So I first, I would like to start out with kind of a question that might be a little bit different, and that is, what age group were you? Like what decade were you in when you started really connecting to that inner motivation you have? Like you love to serve people. You love to do things like, did you, were you always like this or did it happen when you were a teen or when did you really connect to this? I'm here to serve. I think honestly, it happened after I kind of got out of just survival mode. So when I was on my own and I was able to kind of meet my basic needs, then I realized that I I received a lot of happiness and internal happiness from just helping other people and other people helping me from early on was the reason that, you know, sometimes we had food to eat or we had clothes on our back. So I definitely identified with that, but I just wasn't at a point until maybe in my twenties that I could give back. And and I'm so, I'm so glad that that transition happened because it's so much a part of who I am. Yeah, that's great. So when that first landed on you, I'm going to help people because people helped you. And like it is, as it was unfolding, did you imagine that your life would look as amazing and multifaceted as it does today? No, if you would have told me, you know, as a kid or as a teenager, this is what your life is going to be like, I would have said, get out of here. This is, there's no way. There's no way. I graduated from a tiny little, tiny little high school, 79 kids in my graduating class. And you know, I just, I had no idea what I was going to do. And, and if you would have said, oh, you're going to go to Hollywood and you're going to be in a position where you can really make a lot of change with veterans and, and do work in Uganda, I, I would have said, that's crazy. You're crazy pants. No, that's not. <laughs> right. It, it was like so far out of the radar. So how is it? I mean, I'm really curious about how you began the journey. Like, how did you take those first steps? What happened? Because I think a lot of, I work mostly with gifted and twice exceptional people who have all these great visions. And sometimes they get stuck because it's like, it seems so big. It's like so far out of the radar, but yet it's totally doable. And I think you're living that. So what steps did you take kind of initially and how did that all begin and get the momentum started on, on this amazing journey of yours? I think for me, I 
grew up in an environment where I didn't really feel supported or, or that people thought I could do something great. And I mean, sadly, I think it probably started out of, I'm going to prove them wrong. There was something deep down where I said, you know, I, I get to decide my life once I'm 18 and I leave. And the exception to that was probably my mother. My mother was, she used to say, you can be anything you want. If I said, I want to be an astronaut and I don't have the science or math background for that, she would say, go do that. So she was the one person in my life who has always been that way. And I think there was a little bit of fake it until you make it, I guess. I had to pretend like I had that self-confidence to really get that self-confidence. And it's like eating an elephant. How do you do it one bite at a time? And that has been my life is I see this huge thing that I'm going to tackle. And yes, I know it's going to be a lot of hard work, but get started on it. Take that first bite because the longer that you lament about how hard it's going to be, you're going to be behind the other people in the buffet on the elephant. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's a great analogy because you don't want to be at the end of the line on the buffet. (laughs) (laughs) You don't. (laughs) Oh, that's genius. So I don't know. I keep saying using the word genius with you. So it's that, that really cool energy. And so what was the first step? That's the, of the fake it till you make it. What was that first bite of that elephant that Jennifer took? I think the first step was realizing that the trauma that I had accrued as a child and a young adult was not a downfall for me. It was something that I could either choose to lament and say, this was terrible and this happened. Of course, these things happened. But I saw it as an opportunity to tap into emotions and create beautiful art and heal myself from the inside out. So I think once I realized that I, I have these experiences to pull from as a young person in acting that other people don't have, that kind of is where it started. And I just started auditioning for things. And even though my resume probably didn't warrant it, I would show up to another audition and just act like my resume warranted me being there. And it caught up to a point where it certainly did warrant it. And even now, you know, even now, sometimes I, I think I'll be sitting at a table with a bunch of people who are, you know, high ranking or, or famous or whatever, the experts in their field. And I often will think, am I supposed to be here? <laughs> I try to quiet that internal voice, but yeah, it's, it's been an incredible, incredible journey. Oh, yes. So did you ever suffer from imposter syndrome along the way where you were just really good, but you weren't sure? And what did they find out and all of that? Yes. I, I think if you look up imposter syndrome online, there's probably a giant billboard of me next to it because I thought, here I am, this girl who came from a family of very modest means. I don't belong in Hollywood. I don't belong here. I don't, you know, I served in the military, but I wasn't, you know, boots on the ground in Iraq or Afghanistan. I deployed, but it wasn't the same as, you know, somebody's deployed three times to Afghanistan, two times to Iraq. And so I often felt, am I in this position to advocate for veterans? Am I in a position to advocate for more veterans being in Hollywood? And there was always a part of me that said, no, you're not. But then another part of me said, if not you, then who? Mm-hmm. Right. You may not be a perfect fit, but you're going to wait for somebody else to come in and take a slot that may never be filled. So step up to the plate, have self-confidence and do what needs to be done. And use your voice. And I am so blessed to have a voice because there are so many veterans that I talk to who don't have those opportunities and they aren't listened to. And so I wasn't content to say, all right, you know, I, I get to be in TV, I get to be in movies, and now I'm going to use that to self-promote, self-promote, self-promote. My number one 
goal and my number one concern is, is our veteran community and what I can do to make that easier on other veterans who haven't had as easy of a transition as I have. Right. Because it's so important. And I think, and you're right. I work with a lot of people who are veterans and I know a lot of veterans and who don't have a voice or they don't know where to use their voice. Like they don't really understand the systems or exactly what to do. And they, the runaround and all the different things that happen. And so when somebody can use their voice in an effective way that really helps somebody and, or helps the whole group actually, then that's magical, mm-hmm. you know, in my mind anyway. So doing that, bringing your voice into this synergy of Hollywood and veterans and coming from that motive of that wanting to inspire and help and serve people, what do you see as the next thing emerging? How do you see things emerging from here? Like there's, there's just been this beautiful road and I bet there's other things kind of percolating around in your heart's desire. There are. I can't go too much into it because it's still kind of under wraps, but I've been offered a, I was going to say given, but you know, we, we earn things, you know, we earn things and, and I've worked very hard to get there. I've been offered an amazing position and I want to take that position, not only, you know, for myself and, and as a result of, of kind of the work that I've put in, but my main thing when I, when I was interested in taking this position was I'm going to be in a position to bring veterans on and to hire people and to really make a difference. And instead of it being the, the same old boys club, I can actually bring in people who don't have experience and say, listen, they have the will to work and I'm willing to vouch for this person. So it's an opportunity that career-wise for me, it's amazing, but it's going to really, really do some good for veterans who are trying to break into the business. Oh, that's great. So it's going to feed your soul yes. for your career at the same time, right? Yes, it's definitely going to feed my soul. I, I love, I had a makeup artist on my show. My regular makeup artist was gone. And there's a wonderful girl that I've known for, for many years. We both served in the Navy at different times. And she was a makeup artist. And I was able to get her in and hired. And she had her first TV credit. And that is so difficult to, to break in there to have your first network TV credit. So that made me so happy and inspired me to say, let me try to get as many people hired as I can. Oh, that's, I love that. I have goosebumps. I'm like so happy. So let's talk a little bit about work ethic. And Mm -hmm. because a lot of people might look at you and go, well, it's really easy. She's really pretty and she's smart and she can do this. And, and I believe that there has been that bottom part of the iceberg amount of work and effort that has gone in to you where you are. It didn't just magically happen. So talk a little bit about the work ethic you've developed over time and what that means to you and and what your discipline is about that helps you keep going. I will say that appearances can be deceiving. And I remember somebody said to me once, whatever you touch turns to gold. And it was meant as a compliment, but it kind of skims over all the hard work that went into that. So I came into the the entertainment business knowing I was not the youngest, I was not the prettiest, I was not the most talented, the well-connected, the richest, the fittest. I was never going to be the most anything, but I could outwork people and I could have an amazing work ethic and I could get so far by doing that. And one thing about the arts is because we're very artsy, fartsy-minded people, 
The business side is really hard for a lot of people. And people tend to go off feelings. I want to do this as opposed to where I am with self-discipline. I have to do this to get there. So I said, listen, I'm not any of these things that I mentioned before, but I can work the hardest. I can. And I literally took the first year of my career in Hollywood and I said yes to every single audition that came except for one that I thought could have been dangerous. And I went to every audition and I met people and other people would tell me, why are you wasting your time doing that? That's not worth your time. But it was because I met so many people who later moved on to writer's rooms, to become producers, assistants. Mm -hmm. And it just made me feel more supported as a person in Hollywood because it's really, really difficult and isolating. And getting to have those people around me and come up together, that's a really rewarding process. Yes, definitely. Did your time in the Navy help you with discipline? Very much so. My time in the Navy, you know, any veteran listening to this is going to vociferously nod as I tell this. They give you a mission or something you have to do. And they say, all right, you have half the time to get it done. You have 75% of the supplies and you don't have all the personnel. And you cannot, like many places in the civilian world, just say, we're not staff for that. I can't do that. You have to get it done. So I came in knowing when I moved to Los Angeles, I was over 30. I was a woman. There's 50% less roles in TV for women than there are men. And so I said, and don't ask me how that happens. I have, I have no idea. I'm assuming it's reenactment, you know, shows, historical type shows. Right. But I was really appalled by the numbers. And I said, if I want to beat this, I have to go above and beyond and bring that work ethic to the table and just do as much as I can to try to break down those barriers. Right. Now, there's no guarantee of success, but I was either going to have some modicum of success or be exhausted and know I tried everything. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with stopping, shifting directions if I know that I've exhausted everything I have to give. Right. And that, I think that's a key point, Jennifer. It's like working really hard and going after it and, and pivoting or changing or, or, or doing a different thing. Once you've exhausted everything, yes. rather than some people who'll take two or three steps and then stop. What I always tell people, speaking of the two or three steps, so many actors will tell me, well, I heard no on this audition. I didn't book this. And I always tell them, and I can't speak to other industries. I'm sure there's, there's some bleed over into that. No is very rarely no, unless we're talking about consent and physical relationships. That's different. In the business world, no could mean I owe someone a favor. I want to hire someone else. In my industry, you're taller than the lead. We already have a redhead. You look like the director's ex-wife. It's not going to happen. But they will just say no. And it's your job not to internalize that and say, well, I'm not good enough. Just say, all right, it's no for that. That means I'm one step closer to booking my next role because it's, it's no for this, but it's not no for forever. It's not no for everything. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, and that's true. No has so many underlying secondary translations, especially in the business world. Yes. Especially then, you know, and so sometimes so does that hesitant. Yes. When somebody says yes, but you can tell that it's not necessarily a full all out. Yes. We're like, yes, we're really interested. Or the, the other one that I'm sure you've heard a lot is, well, we'll try. I'll try this and try that. And, and to me, trying is a noisy way of doing nothing. And um, Diane, we're right here. <laughs> I always say, I, I guess Yoda says this, right? It's like, there is no try. Cause I saw it on a meme, but that I, I thought that before I knew Yoda said it, there is no try. It's just like you do it or you don't do it. Right. 
And that's how I am because you can, you know, you can dookie in one hand and try in another and one's going to fill it faster. So just do it. Just take that first step. Right. Exactly. Yes. That's what Yoda said. Do or do not do. There is no try. I think is, is the line. I have a, a person that I work with who calls me Yoda. He goes, you sound like Yoda. <laughs> so my nickname to, to himself and, and his band is Yoda. Like they call me. <laughs> okay. That's a, that's a compliment though. I think, I think it's a compliment too. I think it's a huge compliment. And, and I never thought of it that way, but I think it's kind of true. And I've always said that even before I knew Yoda said it right. Is that, it's a noisy way of doing nothing. When somebody says, I'll try. Mm -hmm. And I also believe, and I want to hear what your experience is with this, because I have a feeling you haven't, I don't know, I'm getting, I'm very intuitive and I keep getting these messages about it. That when you take, I always tell people, and I believe this, if I take a step forward or I take a step toward something, that immediately the universe gives me feedback. Is if it's the right step or how it lands on my body, how I feel, what goes on. Is that, does that happen with you too? It does. And what I'm struggling with right now is there's another goal in my life that I want to accomplish. And the universe, God, spirituality, what's out there, it's very difficult for me. And there's been repeated roadblocks. So I'm wondering at this point, is this testing whether or not I really want to do this and how committed I am? Or is this telling me don't do this? And so I struggle with that because in the entertainment industry, it wasn't easy by any stretch of the imagination, but I did get these little wins and these little signs and, and things that would happen that I felt good about the path that I was on. So now with this new goal that I have, I don't know. I don't know how to decipher it. So I'm hoping the universe will give me <laughs> a better insight as to, you know, is this a yay or is this an A? Because I'm willing to put in the work to get there. But if it's an A, let me know. So I have a little phrase I say that you may want to start saying, and maybe it will help open that door. And I always say this or something better. Oh my gosh, I've heard that. I've because heard you say that on, on an episode. This or something better. Yes, yep. I probably have said it saying it for, I don't know, 30 years. Because what I know about gifted, smart people, and you are a gifted mm -hmm. person, and you're multi-talented, so that makes you a multi-potentialite. So what I know is that our ego, that's not our amigo, our cognitive brain, as smart as we are, cannot wrap around the bigger vision. Totally. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we think this is the vision. It's not all the way. It's only part of it. And that's why we keep getting this perception of not yet and no's and, and roadblocks and things is because it hasn't opened up all the way yet. So I always say this or something better, this or something better. And sometimes you find yourself kind of coming in the back door to it, like, oh, this goes with it. And then it comes together and it, it becomes this building block thing. So maybe start just paying attention to what would be the something better and open on that level and see what happens. When you said this or something better, it really <laughs> helped put this in perspective. So what happened basically was I had reached a point in my career, the pandemic happened, everything slowed down. And because I wasn't regularly acting and auditioning, I started to question, do I really want to do this? And I took some serious steps to leave the industry. I did. So, so far as to say, I don't want to do this anymore and give people notice. And something happened in 2020 at the end of 2020 that threw me back in full force. Whether or not I wanted to threw me back in full force. Right. And then really good stuff again started happening in 2021. So 
this or something better, the better happened to be what I was trying to get away from at, at that moment. Right. Right. Well, I also have another phrase. You're just reminding me of all of these things. The other thing I think of all the time is if it is meant for you to do, if it's your calling, it's like there's a difference between what you can do and what you're called to do, right? If it's your calling, it will hunt you down. And it will never leave you alone and it will keep knocking on the door and it's, it will just keep following you around. I've tried to leave things that I was doing for years and then I'd get slammed back in sometimes in a different way, sometimes not. And I finally was like, okay, fine. Cause I'm, I'm tired of getting like just thrown all over the place, but it, it, if it's your calling, like your soul calling, it will not leave you alone until you say yes and you keep following directions. So I figure instead of getting all bruised up, we should just say yes. I, I feel hunted down, Diane. I feel hunted at this point that I have major targets on my body. So maybe that's a sign. So maybe the side is just, okay. All right. My answer is yes. <laughs> um, yeah. The answer is yes. Whatever it is, I'm, I'm willing to do it. You know, so kind of speaking to the whole universe and see how how this is going to lay out and then say, OK, my answer is yes. And give me a clue of what that looks like, what I'm supposed to be doing with the yes, you know, say it in a way I can understand it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> my internal dilemma is really as an actor, I love to create and I love to work with people and I love that it gives me a platform to help others. I love that. But there is a part of it that I wonder, am I making a difference? And so the other thing that was calling me was, you know, you could do this career and really make a difference. And so it was trying to balance the two. But there is something I love about acting. Because it's feast or famine, you're working a lot or a little, depending. I have a lot of time to volunteer. I'm on the local fire department. And I love, I'm an EMT, so I work with them. I love being able to do that and give back. And if I had another job, that probably wouldn't be possible because I wouldn't have that time, that extra time. Right. And giving back is going to take lots of different forms, right? That it's, sometimes it's even an atypical form. You know, it's not what somebody would think. And like somebody wouldn't look at you and know, oh, she's an EMT. And oh, by the way, she volunteers for the fire department when she's not working. That's, that's a way of giving back that's not typical. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, and for you, it's not going to show up typically. It, <laughs> look at your life. What has been normal and typical? Probably nothing. <laughs> Probably, right? It's like, well, I don't know. So therefore, <laughs> it's a, it's important to say, okay, well, this or something more, see where it goes. Because I think something magical is happening. I can feel it just talking to you. And so let's talk about transformation. Yes. For a minute. Mm-hmm. I have all these topics for you. Um, transformation is really powerful. And you've gone through a lot of personal transformation over your, over your life. You've had to overcome great adversity and mm-hmm. have crafted a really beautiful path for yourself. And that really does affect a lot of people. And so what would you credit your own personal characteristics? What would you credit about you that makes it so that this transformation process that you're going through your whole life really take landed and takes root? I think for me, it's twofold. The, the first, you know, the first kind of thing that pushed me toward that was I don't want to end up the way that I grew up, surrounded by poverty. There were people I knew who lived near us who had gone to jail. I, I didn't want any of those things. My two best friends were teenage mothers. It's a very difficult way of living. So I think 
the first thing that kind of propelled me in that direction was may, maybe fear, honestly, maybe fear, but it, it did help me say, you know, I, I want something different. And then, you know, somewhat recently I dealt with a, a very difficult time with an illness and it just made me reevaluate, you know, if I were to not make it out of the other side, I want to know that I have zero regrets and I've lived my life to the fullest and I've done things. So that actually has really helped me just kind of loosen up. <laughs> I guess you'd say I went hang gliding. I did things I've never done before in my life. And I ended up telling my best friend that that major health scare was the biggest blessing I've ever had in my life. And most people would say it was terrible. This is what I went through. It was such an incredible blessing. It really was. Yeah. Because yeah, it, it reminded you of the power and beauty of your own life and all of all that it entails. Yes. And that, that just so touching. Oh my gosh. So if somebody's listening to you right now and maybe they're afraid to start eating that elephant or <laughs> maybe they're... They kind of want to change and make changes, and but transformation's hard, or they they have destination addiction. I call it. They want to land at the end before they even get started. Do you have any like words of wisdom that you might want to share with somebody who's trying to maybe take a shortcut, or they don't know where to start, or just kind of in that confusion spot? You know, I would say if you don't want to get started, it's like when a runner first starts. You're never going to be super fast, but you're always faster than the person sitting on the couch binging Netflix with with Twinkies, right? So it's okay to be a little lost in the beginning. It's okay to be a little slow. I was all of those things. As things progress, they will get more comfortable. And your growth does not take place in your comfort zone. And the more that you put yourself outside your comfort zone, at this, I'm an expert by this point, put yourself outside because it will get easier and easier and easier. And now I pretty much place myself outside my comfort zone almost all the time. Because it feels unnatural for me to sit in my comfort zone because I'm so used to pushing myself out there. And you might feel stupid. You might feel uninformed. You might feel not qualified. Those are internal feelings. And if someone else is looking at you saying, oh, they're trying to improve themselves, but they're dumb. They, they don't know this. They don't know that. That is not someone's opinion that, that you should ever take into consideration because it's mean-spirited. It's like when you go to the gym and you see someone who's not in great shape, but they're working on their health. The proper thing to do is to support that and champion that and be proud of them. Right. Yep. Not to giggle in the corner and say, oh, look what this person is doing. No, we want to bring each other up. There's enough things in this world that bring us down. Support each other. Yes, I agree with that 100%. And it's so important because the, that first step is the hardest step, I think, mm -hmm. in any of it, in all of it. But even when it comes to getting outside of our comfort zone, because I'm like 100% intuitive and, and or introverted. I'm intuitive too, but introverted. And so when I first had to do public speaking and I went to seminary and actually had to like talk in front of people, it was tricky. But I just remember when Tony, when I heard Tony Robbins, like before he was famous, say, just pretend like it's the second time. I'm like, okay, I'll pretend like I'm very matter of factly. I'm going to pretend like it's the second time, run it through my head and do it like it's the second time. And I didn't even realize the power of what that was. I was naive to all that. This is, we're talking 40 years ago now. And, and I pretended like it was the second time and it was brilliant. And everybody was like, whoa. And even I was like, whoa. <laughs> and so sometimes it's just being willing to put our mind in the right spot and say yes to that, whatever that is, the opportunity, the idea. And I wrote that down, pretend like it's the second time because- that that's very valuable advice. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, and it changed my life, and and it was just something that I learned. I don't, well, I know it was from him, but I don't. I think it was a, I don't even know how I got it, whether it was in a book or what. But I just re- it like logged in my head. You know how like you read something or hear something, it just sticks. And so I was nervous, and I'm like, okay, well, run it through in your mind, and then now it's the second time, and now I understand the neuroscience behind that using visualization to get yourself there. But I didn't know that then, but it gave me so much power and confidence that I could do something that previously I thought I couldn't. Do you ever operate outside yourself? As far as I remember when I was shooting something big for the first time, I kind of almost saw myself outside of my body and it, it was a very odd thing. It was like, all right, I'm watching this person who's competent at what they're doing, doing this but it was a very odd sort of thing where I removed a part of me from, from it in order to have the person doing whatever it was be successful. Right. And that, that's a real, it's called stepping out. There's actually a, a phrase for that. And, and it's important to know that we can do that. We can step out and have the experience and then step back in, you know, and, and that's important, especially when you're acting or you're doing any kind of thing. I work with a lot of musicians and performers in different ways. And it's, there is a lot to all of the dynamic of this, of life in general, right? When we're going to be authentic and, and have all these heart's desires. Because I think that the creative people who are gifted, which is probably not quite one in the same, but pretty close, um, are here to change the world. Like it's the creative geniuses that are here to help make sense of things mm-hmm. for the people. And, you know, we were talking with a friend of mine the other day about social contracts and how there's a social contract. You have a responsibility as an actress and as a veteran to, you have a contract with the other people. It's, it's spoken and unspoken, right? And musicians, they have a contract, they get up on stage or they're, they're doing their music. And that's a contract, a social contract that me, the listener, me, them, the musician have. And when we realize that and we honor and appreciate that, I think then the world can move forward in a p- more productive manner because mm-hmm. now we're paying attention to things that, that engagement that matters. So do you feel that in, when you're like with other people who are acting like with your colleagues, do you feel that sense of social contract with, you know, fr- with them to other people, like that sense of responsibility? Cause I'm, I always wonder that, like, I know some people do, but how, how is your feeling about it? Like in general, in, in your group? It's interesting because when you're working with big stars, most of the time when they go to shoot our footage, sometimes people will leave and they'll have a stand-in and the stand-in can sometimes act and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they they stand there and, and literally stand there. So I remember when I was shooting Stranger Things, I was shooting with Dacre Montgomery, who's an amazing actor, and Will Chase, who was on Broadway before Stranger Things, and he's an amazing actor. And I remember it was time for my coverage, and I was so floored. They both stayed. They stayed to get my reactions, and it was so helpful. And I thought, they're in a position where they don't have to do that. But as artists, they did that for me and they gave back, even though they weren't getting anything out of it, they were giving to me as an actor. And although that would have been my go-to even before that happened to do for other actors, I really felt humbled that they, that they gave me that gift. So I would say there's a definite, you know, social construct 
involved in acting, not only between the actors, but also for the viewer. You want the viewer to be able to completely just be invested in the story. And that's also why I advocate for veterans in TV and film playing military, because when you're watching a show and somebody's doing some crazy saluting or it's weird or it's off, and you can tell that what they're wearing is a costume instead of a uniform, that takes you out of it. And we know during the pandemic, we needed that entertainment to get through the day sometimes. Yeah. So the importance of it can't be, can't be understated. Yes, exactly. And I, and for a veteran doing those roles, it's not acting. No, it's, it's not. It's not. It's, it's bringing to life that part of them that's already there and honoring that part of them, which is very healing. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very real. In fact, I was talking to a client this morning. We were talking about the difference between actors and actresses that are in the role and they are their character and the ones who are just really good at acting, but you can tell they're not in, in the character. There's a big difference. I have to dive in. I cannot go on set and you know flip a switch. I, I cannot do that. I'm all in. And, and that can be detrimental to the mental health sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I'm all in. Right. So what do you do to take care of your mental health? What do you do for your, your wellness, your stress relief and your mental health? Like, what do you do to take care of Jennifer in all of this? So I had endured a sexual assault in 2001 and when I was serving in the military. And I had a lot of unresolved emotional and mental trauma that was manifesting in physical ways. So I remember one of the first things I booked when I had gotten out of the military was a sexual assault, um, like an industrial video. And therapists will tell you, do not work out your pain on camera. This needs to be a private sort of thing. At the time, I didn't know that. So I was able to do that. And it kind of lessened the pain as the years went on. However, in about 2007, I went to Hawaii or I had filmed something that was actually a very difficult rape scene. And that put me back in my healing years. And I flew to Hawaii right after that, coincidentally, because I was meeting uh, my best friend there. And I basically detoxed, not from substances, but just from the emotions because it had screwed me up so badly inside. Right. And I literally sat there for a week and drank a couple Mai Tais and laid in a hammock. I never put myself as an artist in that position again, because I realized I went way over. So now I'm very, very good about eat right. Don't treat your body like a garbage dump because it's not, you know, getting enough sleep. I run, even though my knee surgery doctor says, don't do that. <laughs> I run because I, I just love how it feels. And giving back is incredibly, incredibly important to my mental health. And I read something that perhaps they can kind of trace altruism back to a gene, which I thought, all right, that's it. I have nothing to do with this. It's biological. <laughs> and so I must fulfill the altruistic desires in order to be complete as a person biologically. That's my excuse. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Isn't it? My best friend has the same altruism gene. So we just, you know, go about California and spread the altruism. Perfect. Perfect. There you go. I didn't. Okay. So I have the altruism gene too. So we can just have a party. Right. There's worse things to spread, Diane, you know, so why not spread goodwill? Right. Exactly. I'm with you hundred percent. I think that's a good that's a good thing. So what do you do when you when you're overwhelmed? Do you ever get overwhelmed? Like, oh. you know, lots of things going on in your head and it's like, wah, wide open. Yes. There's a couple 
TikToks out there where it's talking about a mom brain and you have all these random thoughts coming in. I very much get like that. Brown noise has helped me a lot. Um, something about it just kind of helps me focus. I have, um, it's not a white noise machine, but it, it's my cat's fountain at night for her to have fresh water, but it just trickles and it just makes a nice little sound. And I know that I need that because the minute that there's silence, then my brain goes into circus mode. So actually meditation has helped me, which people who have known me a long time would say, you meditate? Yes, I have recently started. I was never able to do it before because I just couldn't calm my brain down. But once I realized it's about the effort at first, it'll get easier. You just have to take that first step. Your meditation is not going to be easy at first, but nothing's easy at first. So just get into it. Right. And that's eating the elephant. And that's the work ethic. That's the same thing. It's, it's you practicing what you've learned over your lifetime. And you're right. It's, it's really not about when I first started meditating, I was just like, we're just going to sit here. We can think not, we're going to do whatever we can itch. We can pretend like we have to go to the bathroom 500 times. We can be distracted with, but we're not moving. We're just not moving. Just not, you know, set the timer, not going anywhere. And pretty soon my system started cooperating because it realized that we weren't moving. Like I wasn't going to give in. And sometimes you have to start with those kinds of steps before you get to the, the thing, whatever it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Totally. Do you ever journal? Do you I, do. Write? I do. So I have a journal with prompts and I, I have a, like a daily journal. And then I have a journal with prompts, which really just kind of makes me just think about things that I've never thought about. It is helpful for me. What I tend to do is when I'm really struggling with something, I will write the outline to a scene. And I will write a lot of how I'm feeling. And then, you know, I have script writer friends who can kind of turn that into something. I, that's not my specialty. But the personal experience that I bring to certain things is not easily replicated by a writer who has not experienced those things. So I'm very lucky to have people around me who can help me turn my memories and my thoughts and how I process things into something beautiful, something artsy, something that can inspire other people, teach other people, give other people hope. Right. And that's, that's the ultimate gift, if you will, of all of the discord and pain and trauma we go through is when it can finally be transmuted, much like an alchemist, into something beautiful, mm-hmm. however that shows up. So again, coming back to your statement that you started going to all those um, auditions, even when you, did, you just kept going, yes, 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 and meeting all the people. Now you have a whole network of people around you years later where you can write an outline down and there are people that can help you put the things together in a really beautiful, magical way that had you not stepped out of your comfort zone back then, this would not be happening today. Absolutely. I have great respect for that. And I love following the path because I think that so many of people in this culture were so conditioned to immediate gratification. If it's not in three seconds, don't do it. Blah, 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 blah. And that's not how life really is. Not at all. Not at all. It, and because it's very, very clear to me that it, there really is a lot of effort that goes into things with focus. You know, mm-hmm. my tagline for my business is focused action yields powerful results. Ooh. And uh, so because we have to focus our action, it's just not random. Like if we followed all the random stuff in our head, we wouldn't be getting anywhere. <laughs> it's how, do we, how do we focus and, and kind of corral like herd the cats, so to speak? to get us where we're going. <laughs> without, without focus, I feel like we would eat tacos literally every day. Right. Because that's always in my 
in my thought processes. Like tacos are delicious. So if I followed that, I'd be eating tacos and watching Netflix and not much else. Right. And then that whole desire within you to serve other people and do all these creative things would surface every once in a while. You'd probably get miserable and anxious or whatever and eat more tacos. And then, and then it would put it back down. And then we would wonder why we're in a vicious cycle. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's great. I love it. I love it. Okay. So I have a couple other kind of more random questions and that are things I was thinking about. Really, they're more topics. I know that you've you know gone all over the world. And one of the things I always want to know for people who've traveled everywhere is when you think back, what's the most memorable food you've ever eaten? Like, you know, it could be what's really tasty or not really tasty, but when you look back, you go, oh my God, that was like a something. Hmm. I went to Peru and mm, it was two things. There was one I ordered and one I did not order. So they have something there called koi, but it's guinea pig. And so the person next to me was eating it, but I don't want to eat a guinea pig. I just want to love it and pet it. But I did eat ceviche, but it wasn't like ceviche like we have in the US. Instead of it being finely diced with you know lemon and some zing and stuff, it was just a giant translucent thing. <laughs> and it was not like sushi. I can't even explain it, but it had a weird texture, a weird smell, a weird look. I just will never make that mistake again. <laughs> it's not for me. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, that, that would be no fun at all. No fun at all. So we're getting almost to the end of the interview. So before I go down that road, is there anything that you heart really wants to share with everybody that I didn't ask you about, or is coming up now that you want to say, because I like everybody to feel totally satisfied when we're done. I would say, don't ever believe that you are too small to make a difference. Don't ever believe that because sometimes you can make a difference in one person's life and you don't know, but it could be a life or death difference that you've made. I was really struggling with depression about 10 years ago and a fellow veteran of mine had reached out to me and he, we didn't know each other well, but at that moment I needed to talk to somebody and he was there. So never, never underestimate your ability to make a difference. Oh, that's beautiful. And you know, there's a timing to that too. So if if you get an urge to call somebody or reach out to them, do it. Yes, absolutely. Because that's the intuition. That's that, that's that connection saying call, you know, or whatever, when maybe that person can't, you know, mm -hmm. for whatever reason or doesn't because they're afraid you won't answer or whatever. So if you ever get the urge to call somebody, call them, Yes. reach out to them because you never know. Right. Yeah, that's true. I interviewed a young girl one time in a substance abuse treatment center I was running and we we're talking and about whether she wanted to come in and she decided to stay. And then she looked at me and she goes, is there hope for me? And I said, well, of course there's hope for you. Like it, there wasn't even like a hesitation in my voice. And I told her how I knew, like, of course there's hope for you, blah, blah, blah. And then, and she went through and did really well and everything was great. And then I ran into her shopping 10 years later, maybe eight years later, like a long time. And, um, and she was engaged and she was like out, about ready to be married. And she looked at me and she said, you know, that day that you told me there was hope for me, I go, yes. She said, I had plans to kill myself if I didn't get accepted there and there was no hope for me. And I didn't tell you, but I'm telling you now you saved my life mm -hmm. and now I'm getting married. And she was crying and I'm getting tearful thinking about it because I didn't know that but I just knew that there was hope for her and I could hold that space for her till she could hold it. Yes. 
And, and I think that that's what matters is that we hold that space for people because there's days we can hold it for people and days other people need to hold it for us. And that's the beauty of human connection. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm having so much fun talking to you. It's not even funny. So I have the last question to ask you, and this is my favorite question. And um, my good friend, Paul, he loves to hear the answers to these quest- this question that I ask people. And that is, there's a billboard that we're going to put up with your Jennifer Marshall quote on it. What is that quote that we are going to put up? The whole world's going to see it now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, <clears throat> If it, okay, so if it was just veterans seeing it because we're a salty type, I would put S-H-I-T or get off the pot. That's yeah. what I would put. Yes, because we are, you know, we just kind of talk like that. I'm a sailor. I talk like that too. So, so there you go. That, that would be my, for the non-PC version. I think for the PC version, it would definitely be something about loving and accepting yourself because if you don't see the beauty in yourself, you can't expect others to see that. Beautiful. That's really beautiful. So everybody, you've been listening to Jennifer Marshall share some really great wisdom. And in the show notes, you will find all the ways to follow her on social media, including her website. So you can go check her out. And I'm sure that you're going to want to do that and let her know you heard her here on Someone Gets Me because this was a great interview. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. It was been so, so beautiful. I honor you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So remember, everybody, put your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star. You're here on purpose with a purpose. So go out there and serve and be your beautiful, brilliant self. Until the next episode, if someone gets it, you up. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.